As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everyone and welcome to the 66th edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. I'll never tire of sounding shocked at the number of the podcast, even though it's literally one more than the last one I read out. Um, I'm Michael Bailey. Hello there. I hope this finds you safe and well. On the way, he can well bend it. Barker's monthly grievance. And there's something in the air, Max. We'll work through all this and more with our guests this evening. They are sports broadcaster and journalist Michael McCann. Hello. And author and along come Norwich culture vulture. He has agreed that that intro is okay. Andy Lorne. Hello. Thanks for joining us first and foremost. Andy, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Obviously helps being 10 points clear at the top of the league, doesn't it? It makes everything a little bit sunshinier. Well, the sun has just come out in Norwich. I mean, it cannot be a coincidence, I think. Uh, That's the way I see it. Especially as it was blowing a hoolie. Um, in the middle it basically felt like January at the weekend it was terrible it was like we're, we're in March now come on come on people anyway glad you're well um, how are you doing Michael? I'm very good I'm very good I'm sort of mixing between championship and women's super league at the moment and uh, just just managing to tick along really until, until the summer but on the note of wind I actually did a midweek WSL game that nearly had to get possibly postponed because the wind was that bad Oof. there was there was a bit of talk it was Birmingham Everton and once the wind gets above 40 miles an hour that's considered sort of severe and because of all the weather warnings right until about two hours before kickoff there was discussion that actually I might be about to comment out on a game that I'd never comment out on because of wind Amazing. which I've never seen that before but anyway <laughs> You'd have had some fun with the commentary lines as that got, you know, postponed, I think. That would yeah. have been, I'm sure they could have been. There's a lot of ammunition there, I'm sure. <laughs> Andy, I'm pretty sure we had you on just before your book was being uh, launched last time. So get the plug in now. Get the plug in now. But how's it gone? Yeah, it's gone really well so far. Um, people seem to be enjoying it. Um, so it's called We Lose Every Week, and it's about the history of football chanting. So it's been an ideal time to launch a book about football chanting when there is none. <laughs> Uh, which is which is ideal, but Ouch. I think people people kind of miss it at the moment. So it's a yes. it's a nice kind of reminisce, if you like, of what things were and hopefully what things will be again come August and the new season. But it's gone really well. People seem to be enjoying it. 
Um, I'm enjoying having it out there. I was a bit trepidatious at first when it first got launched into the world and other people were reading it who didn't necessarily care about my ego. But <laughs> <laughs> so far, I haven't had any uh, criticisms. Look, it's it's brilliant. Give it a read. And uh, if you appreciate Andy's ego as much as me, then say some nice words about it too. Um, <laughs> it did strike me, I must admit. So I went to two games at the weekend. I don't think I've told anyone who I went and saw on the Saturday. And I'm not going to either right now. Um, but uh, it did strike me, even at that game, just how used to no crowds I am and that I don't like that. <laughs> so um, uh, we know. We hope everyone will be back as, as soon as physically possible. Has the um, novelty of hearing the players talk to themselves worn off for you? Because it no. must have been quite interesting the first couple of games to hear them abusing each other and to hear Farker and stuff. But I guess the novelty wears off quite quickly. I don't know if it does because it because it's always... Well, I mean, listening to Ben Gibson go, higher, higher, which is all he ever <laughs> says. Um, I'm a bit bored of that. Um uh, but there's always something of interest in the dynamic of the game, I think. So, um, yeah, here here and there. It can be useful, though. I'm a bit bored as a football commentator of having to repeatedly apologise for profanity that you'll hear. <laughs> that's kind of my job as part of the broadcast. And <laughs> in the end, I've just actually gone for a blanket apology at the start of each half because the problem is, is otherwise that you're just not doing any commentary. You're literally apologising every two minutes. You're going to hear but, some effing and jeffing. It might, yeah. not, it might come from me. It might not be the way I'm apologising for it straight out. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, this is it. It's all very... Um, very surreal of course but it's um i do still really enjoy listening to the players uh, having their conversations and and the bits you can pick up on one thing i i can say that was a positive of it is doing a women's super league game last week what was really nice is i actually heard willie kirk the everton boss tell his fullback exactly what he wanted them to do in terms of making an overlapping run relayed to the viewer that's exactly what he's just said in case you maybe only half heard it and then uh, Ivan Arasso, two minutes later, did that exact thing to set up Everton's first goal. And when it comes off like that, it's, it's a dream. Oh, that's uh, what you want. There's, there's two sides to it. I, I've remembered. Um, I don't think that the uh, producers have managed to get um, a hand, any better handle on the crowd noises that they're doing artificially because ah. they're, they're still like, oh, when other stuff is happening on the pitch, which is it's, that's still amusing. We, maybe we'll miss that when the crowds are back. Who knows? Anyway, I tell you what, I think we should move on. Before we do, let me say that right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 per month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, and me too, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That is theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. Let's get moving, shall we, with this week's headline act. Sort of a two-pronged attack here. Norwich, of course, won 2-1 at Sheffield Wednesday. They came from behind. They delivered their um, third win of March. Have I got that right? I think that's right. Um, so three for three. Well on track then for promotion. Ten points clear, but also well on track for manager of the month for Daniel Farker in March, surely. Now, um, if you didn't catch what Daniel Farker said on Friday about it, it was it was, it was was brilliant. It's in, in my piece in The Athletic, which went live on Monday, um, talking about... I mean, saying he doesn't mind, he's not bothered and he doesn't really care, but also saying that over about 10 minutes um, and also maybe a little line in there about the recognition Leeds got that you just sort of think as a comparison, maybe just um, is in the back of Daniel Farker's mind. But um, 
he basically said his win percentage is probably the lowest of, of all the managers ever. So uh, me being uh, a journalist for The Athletic decided that I would work that out uh, and try to see. Um, what I came up with, so I only, I only went back to the point at which Daniel Farker joined uh, the club, um, which is obviously almost four years now. Um, no one has been nominated for manager of the month in the championship more times than Daniel Farker in that time, 11 months. He's won it once. Now, just as a slight comparison, Neil Warnock has been nominated five times, obviously at two different clubs, Middlesbrough and Cardiff, and won it four times. And there are loads of other scenarios in between, but essentially, Daniel Farker is right. His win percentage is the lowest in the championship since he arrived. Um, how, how bothered are you guys, Andy, I'm going to come to you first, about stuff like this? Because I know, you know, supporters love it. And, and clearly, I think, you know, people inside football clubs do at least acknowledge and, and take notice of, of what it is and sometimes what it means. Yeah. Well, me personally, I'm not really bothered by it at all. I don't, I don't care whether or not Farker wins it. I think the reason that Farker gets nominated so often and wins so rarely is people aren't surprised that he does really well. Whereas if Warnock wins four games in a row, that, that seems amazing. Whereas if Farker does it, it seems kind of regular, kind of what just what happens. Farker wins games of football in the championship and Warnock wins occasionally. So I think that's it. I think people aren't surprised that Farker is doing well. You look at Norwich and you just, you kind of expect them to win, even uh, against Sheffield Wednesday when we're 1-0 down and we look like we're maybe not going to find a way through. I never felt like we weren't, at least in with a really good chance of winning the game, let alone getting a point out of it. And I think that's what Farker has, has bought, is he's bought this sense of, a kind of inevitability that his teams are going to keep going, keep going, keep going and probably win the game at the end of it. So I'm not bothered as a fan whether Farker wins it or not. I like him as a human, so I'd like him to be happy. But yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not fussed. What a lovely sentiment. I've got uh, Neil Warnock on the phone. He wants to uh, have a discussion about his promotion record and how many games he's won <laughs> in the championship. Um, I, <laughs> it's, I mean, in, in, in fairness, I think there is a consistency with Norwich that means that it, you know, you're going to nominate them more often than not. And the piece does go into how the, the nominations are uh, sort of devised and, and what gets signed off and this sort of thing. But then, as Andy's kind of said there, if, if a club does something miraculous for a month, you're probably going to want to really reward that for, for that sort of standout effort. And, you know, I, I wrote this piece with my tongue a little bit in my cheek because it is quite fun, really, to be honest, Michael. Yeah, it's interesting working on the championship on a regular basis because that, in a way, sort of gives you an insight as to how Daniel Farker ends up with one from 11 because the discussion amongst my fellow commentators on the championship, producers, all of us who work on as part of the EFL is kind of, you know, which team is sinking, which team is rising, the 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 fact that the championship is probably one of the most volatile divisions in the world. There's so little that's guaranteed about success or failure in terms of um, how a team is going. And so when you look at Cardiff, they were one of the talking points of like, oh, wow, they could be that team that is sort of 10th and then gets properly sucked in and goes down. And it happens. I mean, it happened to Hull last year. They weren't that bad, but they sold Suchek and Bowen and then sunk like an absolute stone and then McCarthy comes in, they win all those games in a row. Suddenly there's the vague thing of, could it be a playoff challenge? So they're the talking point. And in an odd way, I know this is going to sound really strange. Some Norwich fans might not get me when I say it. I think it's in a way kind of a compliment 
but he hasn't won it that often. The reason being that it's just, as Andy said, it's expected. Norwich have been so consistent under him ever since it all came together, in particular in that 18-19 season. And because they've been so well managed by Stuart Webber as well at the top, there's always been a feeling that Norwich would be right up there. And particularly since Buendia really clicked into gear in October and Campwell as well, they've, I mean, obviously they're part of a team, but they've just looked that good that it's almost not a surprise. So I actually, I actually think it was fair enough to give Mick McCarthy manager of the month. I thought Valerian Ishmael was ridiculously unlucky as well. Mm-hmm, yes. Um, but but if he gets if he gets a perfect month, does he deserve to get one? Probably. And would it be nice as acknowledgement for his coaching staff as he said yes? But if at the end of the season he's got a championship winners, winners medal around his neck, then it means a lot more. And also, I've said this to a few of the guys I work with on the EFL for a while. I think Norwich may. Uh, I'm sure they'll have talked about this in the dressing room. A hundred points should be what they're thinking about because. Oh. Oh, you're in John Rogers' camp then. He's he's been going on about 100 points and 100 goals for a while. Well, well, I'm a, I'm goals, a cricketer as well, and cricketers talk about run rate. And Norwich City are above the required run rate for that. They need but, 21 yeah. from 10. They like do. it's it's. I mean, they've got some so-called tougher fixtures in the run-in, but if they really want to be history makers, and you know that team, it's very ambitious. They'll have talked about it. Uh, well, uh, they'll need to perform less like the first half on Saturday and more like the second then, I suppose. I mean, um, Andy, you mentioned how you just weren't worried about the first half. I mean, what, what did you, what, where did you feel the difference was between between the two? Because I, I didn't think it would just come from them raising their level, actually, at halftime. I thought they were going to need to switch it. And, and actually, they didn't. And even as, as impressive as Kieran Dow was when he came on, they did still equalise when Lucas Rook was on the pitch. Yeah, I think where my my lack of concern came from was Sheffield Wednesday started really, really well, but they started really well at a really high tempo. And it's all well and good pressing a team like the way Sheffield Wednesday were pressing us for the first 15, 20, even the first half. The way Farkas sets us up, and the reason I think we get so many late goals is we just wear teams down by just keep going and keep going and keep going. I think had we been a kind of, stereotypical championship side if you like and started to chase the game with half an hour to go and start to launch balls into the box and bring Hugill on and try and go more route one I think Sheffield Wednesday would have dealt with that fine it's the fact that we keep knocking these little one-touch passes around that eventually either the legs get tired or the brain gets tired and you they switch off and we score and I felt admittedly I felt the same when I was watching the Swansea game a few uh, weeks ago when we lost I felt like even in that game, had we not conceded the second goal, we would have got back into that because the same thing happens. You just, we keep wearing teams down with how we play. We're so consistent. And you know that if you give Pookie two chances, he's scoring one. If you give Campwell two or three chances, he's scoring one. And they, they will get the chances because we just keep playing the same way. Hearing you talk about that does make me think about the sort of the last 15, 10 minutes of the first half. Sheffield Wednesday were getting very deep. I suppose the issue was Norwich weren't really making Westwood work much, but you could tell how deep and relentless that period was becoming. So maybe in a more objective sense, there were a few seeds there at the end of the first half too. Not only defensively as well, I think, but in terms of uh, the way Sheffield Wednesday attacked us in the first half was very high energy. And I don't think that Rhodes was ever going to be able to maintain that for 90 minutes. And I also feel that with Hanley and Gibson, they might have a sort of 10, 15 minute spell where they're a little under pressure and they're a little unsure. 
but they really quickly worked it out as to right well Handy will go and win the ball and Gibson will sweep up rather than we'll both go or we both sit like I not only felt like we were going to get chances but I felt like we had very quickly worked out how they were trying to create chances and we'd shut that down by half time Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Michael, which was your favorite of the two Norwich goals? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Big questions. Big questions on On The Ball podcast. They were both really gorgeous finishes. They were. And I know I'm sitting on the fence. I thought I'm going to go for the Campbell one. The reason being that it was, I'm not going to use the phrase weaker foot because I commentated on him scoring that brilliant goal against Stoke where he danced through and smacked it in the bottom corner with his left, but his less preferred foot. Um and when you see a player doing something like that, it shows that the hard work of the training ground, all those cliches is coming through because maybe it's just my memory, but two years ago when he first broke through, he was incredibly right-footed and he's clearly worked on his left-footed shooting and it's giving him another option in the box because defenders are still anticipating that he's going to want to move it onto his right. But to be able to take that first time like he did, that was a special, special goal on any foot. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd give it to Camwell for that, just for the fact that, you know, that seeing a player who has identified something they can do to make themselves better and they've clearly worked on it and it's working. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd give it to Todd for that. Andy? I'll give it to Pookie then, uh, just to be different and for a much <laughs> less eloquent reason. But I really like a shot that just continues to rise all the way into the net and is still rising when it hits the net. So Campbell's was obviously a great, great goal, but just for the fact that he didn't need the crossbar to help him, <laughs> I'll give it to Timu. It was more on target than Todd's. Is that what you're saying? It was just more satisfied to watch it just <laughs> arrow into that top corner. I, I think I said it last week. Um, I, I wanted to see Timu just put his foot through it more. And then lo and behold, he's done it, you know, twice now one brilliant finish and a really well-worked goal at a point where Norwich were being so patient and just working it and working it and even people like me were tweeting saying come on where are the changes now get on with it um I just thought it was a brilliantly brilliantly worked goal um just to move on a little bit from uh, well actually talking about Timu to be fair there is a theme here um he of course was named player of the month um for February which 
bizarrely, um, and Ian, I'm sure you'll love this as much as the manager of the month award. Uh, he's only the second Norwich player to win it since 2004. Um, Simeon Jackson, the, the other one, in April 2011. And to win it, he had to score eight goals in the month, including two hat-tricks. Including, was that one of those hat-tricks, the Derby game? Uh, yes, and Scunthorpe. Wait, yeah. When he yeah, came he off deserves. the bench. <laughs> came off yeah. the bench. He came off the bench at 3-0 and Scunthorpe were just there for the taking. Amazing. So Tammy didn't have to do that. No. Um, and yeah, that is surprising. Um, I'm personally surprised that Timu got it over Buendia for last month because Timu gets all the headlines. Obviously, he scores the goals and he deserves it. But you could genuinely make a case for Buendia getting it. I think he was in the team of the week every week or close to every week for yeah, March. Yeah, so. why not? A bit, a good, a good bit of who scored ratings. Everyone loves those. It's surprising that nobody's won it since Simeon Jackson, given some of the standout performances we've had, not only this season, but in 2018, 2019. I think of uh, the month of May, where I think Vrancic scored three or four really crucial goals, including the title winner at Villa Park. So for him not to have won it that month seems surprising looking back. But yeah, yeah team, you can't make a case that Timu didn't deserve it. Well, Norwich are going. I saw this the other day for their fourth promotion in their last six championship seasons. So when you put it into that kind of context, and it looks very likely to be a fourth championship promotion from their last six seasons in the division, to do that without having a player of the month at all until Pukki in February is, is, a, is a peculiar one. Um, the kind of one that would have certain corners of the internet crying, conspiracy, the world's forgotten about Norwich and East Anglia. Um, to be honest, mo- most of the time, I think it's just... people sometimes look for for sort of conspiracy where it's more just randomness best best noise of the podcast this season there you go michael well done look if you if you want to see a couple of charts and read a little bit more about um the awards um and daniel farker's view on them including some lovely stuff he said about there being recognition for for his coaching staff and analysts then um you can check that out on the athletic right now but I think here and now we will move on to the things we are not going to talk about. Now, these are the things that have happened and deserve acknowledgement in the Norwich City world, but we are only going to acknowledge them by stating how we are not going to talk about them. So I hope that makes sense. Also, we've only got about three minutes to do it. So cue the dramatic music, please, producer Ollie. Right then, uh, I will start off. Uh, gentlemen, please just chip in as and when you wish. Uh, first off, Jordan Rhodes scored, obviously. Of course he did. As soon as he started, he was going to score. He took it really well, actually. I don't understand why Sheffield Wednesday aren't playing him. Yeah, he's still a decent player. It, it, you know, in a side that's that you know, lowly, get him in, get, he'll score goals. The other yeah. thing I would say on Jordan Rhodes scoring is I'm delighted he celebrated because I can't stand it when players don't celebrate when they score against former teams like you've scored for your current team enjoy the moment so when he celebrated I was delighted that he did and when people on Twitter again I think said it's outrageous that he celebrated against his old team then the fact that he annoyed people by celebrating makes me all the more happy that he did celebrate (laughs) <laughs> hey, it was a it was classic Jordan Rhodes, um, and you know, fair play to him. He had some lovely chats after the game. I noticed he was talking uh, talking away to Timmy Pookie, especially at the full time whistle. A nice little chat with him. I think he enjoyed himself. So there we go. Um, not going to talk about that. Um, we won't talk about the defending either in the first half. Uh, um, ben Gibson, well, at least he played. I guess we were a little bit worried he wasn't going to play, but um, he came through. So 
Um, thanks for that. Uh, anything in a Norwich perspective you guys don't want to talk about? Michael? An eighth straight league win for the second time in a season, which I know Mr. NCFC numbers had a thing about. Only four people have done that in this millennium on a Tuesday night in English football. Um, <laughs> which I'm, I'm only teasing, not because of him, but because of how some football statistics these days get a bit silly, where it's sort of like, oh, in their last seven games on a rainy Tuesday night, they've they've not won any of them. But no, it was actually a good stat, and it made me think, oh, right, yeah. So yeah, good winning run for Norwich again. He's doing some special stuff, Daniel. I don't want to talk about the fact that the joy of this promotion means that we then have to face VAR next season. So... Sorry to take away the shine of this goal. Who can, who can not wait for that Spurs, goals like that Pookie Spurs goal? I was right in line with it when it happened. Oh, my days. I can't, I can't. start a petition where, where we win the championship, we get given all the money for the Premier League, and we get given some of the glamour so the players can stay, but we get to stay in the championship and just do it again. To be fair, the, the wider <laughs> football world would probably rather see Brentford up than Norwich anyway. So just, you know, we'll take the money, but Brentford can play the games. Away you go. Hard Job done. Sorted. Perfect. We solved football there. Uh, I mean, I, I can't wait to see uh, um, Lacazette shank a shot and kick Ben Gibson's shin and get a penalty for it. It's going to be great. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what a time to be alive. Um, uh, uh, right. Is there anything anything else I don't want to talk about? It feels like it's been quite a quick. Did anything else happen last week? Have I just been in a bunker? Anything else anyone doesn't want to talk about? No. Uh, I'll tell you one thing we're not going to talk about is Robbie Savage saying that Norwich is a long way from his house. I mean, I don't really care. And um, also uh, the under 21. What Norwich promoted though, Michael, don't forget that. Well, he did. That's true. Yeah. So it took took hours to get off the pitch that allowed Simeon Jackson to score that goal. Great shot. Yeah. I'm sure he's still grateful for that. Uh, The music's finished. Um, The the other thing uh, that I wasn't going to talk about uh, was uh, the internationals. Um, although we maybe will get stuck into that next week, but um, you know, I, I'm not going to talk about, but I would like an, an answer as to who at the EFL thought it would be a good idea to have a Friday program on the Friday at the end of an international break. What is that about? Why are Norwich playing um, at Preston at 3 p.m. on Good Friday when there are international games on the Wednesday night before? Idiots! What? That's not an not an unpredictable scenario it should have at least been the saturday there we go anyway uh preston have already said they're not moving the game obviously why would they um so norwich will just have to grab hold of the siege mentality and prove their point which will be or cue with 10 minutes to go in the game before the international break a stream of people holding their gingerly holding their hamstring and just limping off with a slight strain that'll just keep them out of international (laughs) good old sir alex ferguson you will not be going on international duty vibe it's a, the, the way to do it. Um, I think it might have been on the Along Come Norwich podcast that I said Norwich would get promoted on Good Friday just because of the semantics of getting promoted on Good Friday, not because I figured it was mathematically possible. So now I feel like that's even less likely than it was when I uttered it. So there we go. Right. Uh, let's move on to Centrefold, shall we? Now, uh, this is basically solely an apology because somehow we didn't talk about Max Aaron's name last week. And in fact, I I thought it was because we didn't mention him, but we did mention him once. I said his name, Max Aaron's, which of course I will never utter again because basically this section is trying to train my brain to call him Max Aaron's three years um, after no one said anything. Um, 
and you know it's not affected his performances so that's really good uh, there is a chance to plug a piece on the athletic about where his future may lie and the theory that i came up with and either actually maybe max aarons there we go max aarons um would be better off in a team that can attack like Norwich in the championship, but at a higher level of maybe Norwich would be better with a right back who I'm not saying won't attack, but I don't know, is a slightly better defensively or, or just has that as a, as a bigger strength. Am I selling yeah. it? Do I want to Absolutely. sell it? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying this just because I care about your ego, but I really enjoyed that <laughs> piece. Um, partly because it's optimistic, isn't it? Like if, if you lose Max Aaron's, then that's a good, a good scenario in terms of the future of the football club. And I completely agree with your logic. Like next season, we have to be more defensively secure than we are being this season. We're so far this season, we've been defensively excellent, but next season is a whole new level. And yes, I appreciate that Farker is going to want to play the same way with high fullbacks, but Max Owens isn't the best defensive right back. And he would absolutely suit a team like, Bayern Munich or Manchester City who push their fullbacks right on as wingers, much like we are in the championship because that's Max Aaron's real, Aaron's real strength. So I can absolutely see the logic. And I think you were right with the piece. Like we would benefit from a huge amount of money for him and then a potentially more defensively secure, but still really technical fullback. I wasn't fishing for the compliments, but I'm obviously going to take him. And this is for all of us. This is all of us educating us to call him errands. This is all good practice. Um, but I mean, Michael, I, it sort of struck me when I was talking to my editor before I wrote it, it the, the, the thought came to me that I oh, would actually keep him Max Aaron's could be the worst case scenario in a way, which again is not necessarily a, a bad thing. Cause you, you look at him, he's still easily one of the, looking at the stats as I did in the piece, he, he's clearly beyond comfortable at championship level. Yeah, he's been a bit of a Rolls Royce this season for Norwich. And the focus always goes on players further up the pitch because that's naturally the way things work. People don't tend to sit around raving about right back. But he's right up there for Norwich's player of the season. And he's, I mean, I can't really think of anyone who'd be competing with him for the championship team of the season. I think it's an interesting counterpoint. What you've gone with, the worst case scenario is that he's he goes. I think the thing you have to remember if he went, there'd then be a lot of pressure on the recruitment team to try and get a fullback that fits into the Daniel Farker system that can be Premier League quality and come straight in and be Premier League quality. Um, and also the other, it's that classic thing where if you sold him in the same window as you bought someone else, you're then meaning that everyone who you would go out and bid to and look to bid to would know that that's why you're doing that and that you've got a fair bit of money behind you that is the Aaron's money to spend. So that does create complications with that world. In the tactical point, I understand exactly what you mean. Um, I mean, you think of who else they've got, you wouldn't really feel comfortable saying to Bali Mumba, you're going to be a Premier League right back now when he's barely had a kick this season. Um, so that would that would be the bigger complication. I mean, Delia Smith said it in that interview. Like, you know, he's not going to be at Norwich forever. I don't think that's exactly giving anything away. Um, I'd say, though, from a selfish Norwich City point of view, I do think it would be better for Norwich to keep him and give themselves the best possible tilt at staying up. I know that I might be wrong, but next summer, Daniel Farker's contract's up, Stuart Weber's contract's up. I don't want to sound like I'm sort of 
premonising things in a too much of a negative way, but that could be the time where maybe the band ends up getting broken up and almost next season could have a bit of a last dance feel about it with Norwich, like the chance for this core group of players to prove that they can do it in the Premier League and then maybe some of the very best from that, if we see what Emi Buendir can do in that division, as we know he can and Aaron's can do, that might be the time where some of those move on to, to bigger and better things. I agree, but I do think that there is an element of we tend to already have the players' replacement in the building before they go. So while I agree that Ballymumba hasn't had that much football this season, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the plan, is that Ballymumba is immediately going to step in as soon as Aarons goes. And for me, it'll be interesting to see if and when we are promoted, whether or not Ollie Skip drops out and Sorensen comes into that role and Max Aarons drops out and Ballymumba comes into that role because it feels to me like they've already kind of planned for those two to go and their replacements are in the building. Yeah. It will be interesting how much of a what we consider the Farker first-choice team stays the Farker first-choice team if and when promotion secured. But you, you are placing, and he is a really good young player, and that assist that he got earlier in the season for Steepenham, wasn't it, against Swansea, something tells me, yeah. when he's playing on the left flank as well was superb. But you're talking about someone that's played half a season in League One, has had the odd bit of minutes in the championship, hasn't been out on loan, which is unusual given Stuart Webber's policies normally to try and get players who aren't playing out on loan as quickly as possible. To suddenly say to Barley Mumba, now you're going to be playing every week and defending against the very best wingers in the world is a whole other, other kettle of fish. I'd also actually be very surprised if Norwich sold anybody this summer because I think if someone like Aarons was going to go, He'd probably gone last summer. And I'd be very surprised if now having come up with a championship winner's medal, which is every chance Norwich will get, why would you then go when you're playing in a team where you're comfortable and you know you'll play every week? I'd think it quite curious. That's why I talked about next summer as either if you've proven yourself and stayed up, that could be the time to move on. If Norwich go down again, again, same result in a way. Emmy's staying. Yes, get in. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Okay, cue John Motson. This is almost fantasy football. Yes, indeed, this is just like fantasy football. Uh, we are recording as we usually do on Monday, but it's quite a uh, week in store, of course. We have Wednesday evening's trip to Nottingham Forest, where Chris Hutton's um, sort of struggling Forest team awaits, not struggling as much, but then probably doing what we all expected. Uh, and then at Carrow Road on Saturday, uh, Blackburn Rovers are in town, which... Um, 
it doesn't really feel like a big fixture, but hey, we are where we are. And ultimately, there's still quite a lot riding on everything. So um, what we'll do is paint a picture of the forthcoming seven days, and then you can laugh at us with what we've um, created, of having given you the valuable gift of hindsight, of course. So um, what's going to happen? Tell me some fun things that's going to happen over the course of this coming week. Uh, Michael, you go for it. It's not fun, but from a tactical point of view, Chris Hewton is going to set up Nottingham Forest. I've done quite a few of their games recently in low block. That's not really going to be a shock piece of information to anyone (laughs) anyone in particular, but um, he's he's done a very good job. He's got Forest out of real mire. They are probably just about going to stay up, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. He's going to do his best to frustrate Norwich. I think if Norwich score first, I can't see them not winning a game. Norwich have won 21 and drawn two when they've scored first this season. And Forest have been sort of slightly unsurprisingly pretty woeful at getting back into games once they're behind. If Norwich make a slip like they did on Sunday against Sheffield Wednesday, then it could all get a bit awkward. Um, I'd be gobsmacked if Norwich have less than 65% possession. Yeah. And it's a, again, has the feeling of a bit of a attack versus defence type of game and it's just a question whether they can they can pick the lock basically um uh, i think um with forest i mean it's going to be a bit like playing brighton from about three years ago isn't it andy and glenn murray's got a good record against norwich yeah i think forest is quite a tough game on wednesday for the reasons michael just said like hooton knows how to set up a team to frustrate a team and we can occasionally look a little bit vulnerable on the break as all teams who attack as much as Norwich do can. So I think if we do score the first goal, we win the game. Um, We're not going to be too disappointed, I would say, to have one more win come the end of Wednesday and Saturday because I feel that four more wins probably clinches promotion from here. I think I wrote that um, on a, in, in the uh, match day discussion at the weekend, I think, four, four well, wins would probably do it. There's a guy on Twitter, Dave Clark, who has worked out exactly how many points Norwich need to be promoted, which is 21. And obviously that comes from either Norwich winning 21 points or the teams below us dropping 21 points. So by the weekend, we could, theoretically, if, if everyone else loses and we win both of our games, we could only need another hang on, 21 takeaway Nine. 12. Nine. nine so we could only need nine points by the weekend i don't think that's going to be true because obviously i don't think we're going to win both games just because a run of eight wins takes this toll and you can't keep doing that um so i think it's going to be a really tight game on wednesday i would take a point i think just take a point and move on and what i can see happening is one of the teams chasing us start to uh, feel the pressure and slip up a couple of times this week so i think by the weekend there'll be three teams in the running It'd be nice to watch that battle beneath. Um, I reckon Kieran Dell's going to start on Wednesday. I've got no basis for that. I just uh, I liked what I saw. I probably wouldn't have talked about him in the section where we don't talk about him, but now I am going to, and I'm going to say he's going to start because um, I'm seeing promising signs. It's probably probably now a decent time. Having written a piece on Norwich's number ten options <laughs> um, to give uh, to to give Kieran a, a go as he's sort of catching uh, the eye. Uh, Blackburn, are, I mean Blackburn, are one of the few teams to have out possessioned Norwich in a game this season. I mean they still lost. And actually, it was one of those games where I thought Blackburn were all right, but I thought some of the reaction to how good Blackburn were was a little over the top because I, I didn't quite 
see it in that regard. Um, Tom Tribal's assist was gorgeous the other night, but of course he won't be able to play because he's ineligible. So, um, and there we go. And and there's a bit of me that thinks Adam Armstrong, good striker. Could, you know, is he someone that Norwich could look at maybe as a as a as a backup option to Tammy Pookie next year? But then I probably end up convincing myself that that's not the case, Michael, and, and that he should look elsewhere. That period of recruitment is always going to be tricky for Norwich. It, it was, which we saw when they went up a couple of years ago. They really struggled to find signings that could come in and improve that promotion-winning team. And Stuart Weber himself said that you know they didn't have a great recruitment window. And so whoever they were to get in that period is really important. In terms of Forest, I actually and Blackburn, I actually think the Blackburn game shapes up as a much better game for Norwich. Because Blackburn, sorry, Norwich like teams that play that way. Blackburn are free scoring, but defensively not great. Let's be pol- to be polite. And they, they like to play out from the back with players who, I think the table reflects it, have not always necessarily been able to match the style that their manager has wanted them to play. And that's led to a lot of defensive errors and them being nowhere near the playoffs when at the start of the season, they were that championship team. It seemed to always be Derby for years who make like 10 signings in the summer, who've at one point in time played well in the championship. So that automatically means they're definitely going to be right in the promotion picture when anyone who's watched the championship knows that that's kind of media hype and not really the way the division works. <laughs> and so it has proved they, they do score a lot of goals and they're entertaining to watch and it, it will be a very different game from Saturday. I'd be really surprised on Saturday if both teams don't score, um, but I'd actually give Norwich a better chance of winning that one at home than winning the Forest game because Forest will be awkward and deep. Um, and Chris Hutton is speaking to people around the game. He is one of the best defensive coaches around. And so if anyone can come up with a plan to try and stop Norwich, um, and you can guarantee he'll have watched what Sheffield Wednesday did on on Sunday very closely, where for the large part, they were able to shackle Emi Buendia in particular and try and build from that. So I'd actually say the midweek trip is a lot more awkward for Norwich than what they've got on the weekend. Yeah, I think we can all appreciate how good a defensive coach Chris Hutton is. Um, uh, so uh, what the only other thing I wanted to add is, um, is my thoughts for Bradley Dack, because when I saw he did his ACL the other day, uh, sorry, um, the, the first time around, that was quite an affecting video because he did it right by the camera and obviously there's no crowds in and uh, felt really bad from them. But th- to then see what happened at the weekend, I thought was terrible. So um, it, I think it's still yet to be fully diagnosed. It, it obviously looks like a really nasty knee injury. Um, wish him all the best, really. And it's a shame because he's probably one of the best players in the championship on his day, as, um, which has uh, just not been able to uh, happen very often. So I um, wish him all the very best. Uh, but I think on that note, um, we are done for On The Ball this week. Um, if you yet to do so, please make sure you subscribe via your podcast player of choice. The pod is available free for everyone on your usual player and then ad-free to subscribers of the Athletic Fire app. Uh, please leave a review or rating wherever you wish. Spread the word. Tell people what we're doing and uh, feel free to get in touch, propose topics and um, ask us any questions. You can sling me a direct message on Twitter. The handle is at Michael J. Bailey. In the meantime, a big thank you to our guests tonight. They are Michael McCann. Good evening, Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mr. Andy Lorne, pleasure. Thank you very much. And we'll be back next week for another On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, 
Never mind the danger. Welcome, Andy and Michael, to Wits End. Andy, this is debut, debut for you. And Michael, this is your second appearance, I think. Correct. Brilliant stuff. Um, welcome, uh, everyone else out there, all you Twitterkers. Uh, if you've stumbled across this for the first time, wondering what's go- going on, um, then just listen to On The Ball podcast number 42. Went live on September the 8th. It's all explained there. You can email this part of the podcast directly. The email is Twitterkers, Twitter, K-E-R-S, at iCloud.com, or use the hashtag Twitterkers on Twitter. Just don't explain what it is, because secret club, obviously. Uh, now, <laughs> um, this is probably going to be a short one, because... I'll be honest here. I didn't have much time to prepare the pod this week. I've got no idea what we're going to do. So it's it's a it's a free for all. Um, we did, oh, Michael's already got his finger up. This is this is what I like to say. He's, he's giving me out. I think. <laughs> no, 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 I'm saving. I'm, I am preparing the trigger finger for the cricket season. Just that point where you want tea and you just want to give your tail enders out because you know they can't score any runs anyway. Um, it was on Andy's uh, feeding off Andy's theme about starting chance. I was thinking back to the Spurs game where I was one of the 9,000 and uh, for once got to go to a game not working, which was great um, because you don't often when you're a football commentator. Oh, and, and, and a plug plug for the podcast after that because we've got you you and Hodgie doing your uh, audio. Oh, that was game. fun. So give, yeah. it, give so, it a listen. Yeah. yeah, so if you go back to that. <laughs> Roughly. Yeah, it's, it's weird because it feels like such a long time ago, but then given how sterile life has been, it feels like so little has happened since. But one thing I remember about that is I hadn't been in a crowd for so long and I was so excited to be back. And one of the benefits of having a loud, deep voice when you're not annoying the, the shoehorn out of people with it is that it's quite useful for starting chance in football stadiums. Oh. So, you know, quite a few times. I mean, the atmosphere in there was brilliant anyway. I enjoyed the ability to be able to project my voice and do kick it off or Emmy Wendy. Oh, he's going, going for it. Look at this. Go, Michael. Then, Go on. I mean, I can, I can do it a lot louder, but I don't want to destroy the microphone. <laughs> but, but I was next to Hodgie and I did it completely unannounced. And Hodgie just turned and looked at me like, where did that come from? And it was like... <laughs> It was like, well, yeah, I'm in a, you know, what, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm not coming, because the thing is, I'm quite analytical even when I'm at football. I still end up talking about it like I'm a commentator, positions and what's going on. So Hodgie and I are there having all this detailed technical analysis of the teams and how they're set up. And I got about 10 minutes into the game and I thought, wait a second, I'm not working. I yes. can do the other thing as well. <laughs> and then started on the Ball City and Hodgie turned and looked oh, at me. Oh, Michael. The other thing, while we're on the story of that game, which I feel like we... I can revel in only because it might bring our listeners some joy of a, you know, the days where you could have stories like this. Stuart Hodge nearly missed that game. I got him the ticket and due to London transport issues of finding his way to North London, he said, you know what, give up. I'm not going to make it. I said, there's absolutely no way you are not coming to Spurs away in the FA Cup last 16 with Jose Mourinho on the touchline at the new stadium. I was like, that's just not happening. And in the end, he reluctantly said, oh, fine, I'll go. We'll get smashed. 
and not smashed <laughs> in a drinking sense, smashed in terms of Norwich's performance on the pitch. Oh, well clarified. Well done, Michael. But, <laughs> but just in case that gets misunderstood. So I was insistent and I was like, look, if for some reason we pull this off, we're good at playing the big teams. Who knows? Get over here. Get here. So I had to leave his ticket at the, the little sort of hut. I think he got in just in time to see the first goal from memory. And then he was just like, oh, well, this is all done. And I actually started the chant to kind of cheer him up. And then he looked at me like, oh, that's the side of you I'd never, because we'd never that's been in a brilliant. football stadium before as fans. That is lovely. Well, there's no better feeling either, is there? And if oh. you start a chant and then 9,000 oh, yeah. other people are singing the same thing that you started this. Do you know what? I used to play violin in a lot of orchestras when I was a kid. Oh. And I think starting a chant in a football stadium is the closest feeling you get to being conductor of an orchestra. Oh, listen to this. We've feeling, gone highbrow. You get the feeling of power because your yeah. voice, you you start and then, and that night was electric anyway. And even when Norwich won nil down, they were still playing well. So you started something and it just went off. It was, it's, oh, it was um, I tell you what, it's a skill though. Cause I, you know, 10 years in the lower Barclay at the back block D E border, um, seat one thirteen row U. Um, if you're going to launch into on the ball city, you have to do it at the right moment. You can't, if, if everyone yeah. sat down and quiet, it is not going yeah. to catch on. And before you know it, you're halfway through the song and it's still only you singing. You've got to pick your moment. Don't yeah. start on the ball city. If we're just about to have a corner, because that's not the oh, right terrible. That that's yellow. Everyone wrong. knows that. That's yellow. Exactly. Although um, I miss so come on you yellows. We, we stopped singing that. that, that well, it seemed to be come on you yellows, like twice. Like, come on, you yellows, come on, you yellows, and then it just merges into yeah. yellows. Yeah, true, I think. true. So, you have to pick your moment, but you also have to just commit to it because if you show oh, yeah, yeah. Heck, and no one joins in and then you tail off, no yeah. one's going to join in. You no. have to just go for it and yeah. just complete, like, accept that not everyone might join in and you might just belt it out on your own, but you have to fully commit. It's a hundred or zero. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you have to hit the, I mean, it's easier when you're in an away end. Because I, I, you know, when I'm at home, I'm I'm in the what used to be the NMP, so I wouldn't really do it there. But when you're in an away end, everyone's standing up. It has that different vibe about it. But you just a, it's got to be a quiet moment so everyone can hear you. B, it's got to be a quietish moment in the game. And then C, you just have to hit the kick it as if it is the last thing you will ever say, and be prepared that to sort of hit the voice at a hundred. And then, I mean, the thing that helped me is I had the confidence, the fact that I knew there was this massive Scotsman with a huge early voice next to me in, in Hodgie, who as soon as I started, I had one person with me who would also similarly to me have a very loud, annoying voice. If you can have a couple of mates around you, obviously that helps. But just if you fully commit, then people are likely to join in. And if they don't, then they'll have forgotten about it in 30 seconds because something will have happened in the game. <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you, Michael, about um, talking of committing th to things and just taking them to the as far as you can take them. Yeah. How have your uh, goal announcements been received on Twitter since? Oh my gosh. Yes. Native tongue of the goal I've, scorer. Thank you so much for your help with this. So people may have noticed that um, I, you know, basically unceremoniously nicked uh, Phil Hayes goal announcements. Cause um, he's my colleague who covers Leeds United, of course, and his tweet is goal. And generally the bigger the goal, the more, the longer the goal is pronounced, but it is just goal. So I, you know, adapted this by doing goal and then adding city on the end with an exclamation mark, which in fairness dates back to when I used to do the live coverage at the Pinken and, um, you know, everyone would look out for this goal city, which is how you'd announce how I, I would announce a goal. So um, 
I can't remember how we came up with it now. I think we were having a chat or something about it, but it was um, whether we could do whether we could do it with goal being actually in the language of the goal scorer, which does mean I have to work a little bit harder because I've got to know who the goal scorer is before I've announced it, which is not always great. That was and, my uh, primary motivation for trying to push you to do it was that I wanted you to work a bit harder. Yeah, well, you know, most people do have that um, feeling. <laughs> um, uh, so Andy, like a, the, the the angel that he is, um, helped write down the list of how goals are announced in most countries. And and initially it was a bit of a disaster because I think Twitter has a filter now on if whether you get tweets in your own language or other languages. So me putting Mali City when Timu Puki scored, I don't think anyone who only had English on their Twitter feed saw it. And it just it did no one <laughs> noticed. Um, I, I, now I, I, either I'm not bothered and not, not having a look or, or it, it's slightly different now. But um, I think most people know a Mali City is, is Timu scoring because he's done it. To be fair, I don't know when I, I've got to have to think about when I started doing this, but I have a feeling all of Timu's eight goals, nine goals in seven games have come since I changed to this. Being Coventry or Coventry or I think it was. I think Coventry Andrews. away was the first one. Yeah, that you did it, and I think yeah. So maybe Stoke. Maybe Stoke. Timu scored, and uh, I think Buendia scored, and you did goal. And I think a couple of people thought you just spelt goal yeah. incorrectly. <laughs> Which is yeah, the A. Perfectly understand. <laughs> I was really looking forward to uh, Adam Eder scoring. Yes, so which when happened. He, when he scored at Wickham, I really liked that one. We are... Now we obviously want, we want Giannale, uh, Giannalis, or however you pronounce oh, Dimitri's name. Yanulis, Andy. Yanulis. Yanulis. I don't ever have to say his name out loud. because <laughs> Mario will be a good one as well. I'm looking forward to Mario and people going, what, what have you just tweeted? Um, <laughs> so that's exciting. Keep an eye out for those. Um, thank you for asking me that. Um, yeah, they've gone down. Well, I'm enjoying them. I'm assuming everyone. I'm enjoying them. And you're enjoying them. So that's two of us. And now Michael knows about them as well. So we're there. <laughs> um, I think we're done because uh, time is is running away. Um, uh, I now am missing singing in a crowd. One thing that we'd like to do with Along Come Norwich, once it's uh, back to being a thing that you can do, is to go <laughs> to a Norwich City ladies game with all of the flags to basically treat it like a home men's game. So you can come to that as a fan because you won't be working and we'll let you start a chant. I will de- we'll all agree to join in with you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, to be fair, 10, 10 years. We'll all just go quiet. 10 years, people did it anyway. So, you know, it's all right. <laughs> but I, I'm definitely coming to that. That's a wonderful idea. Um, yeah, and that's a great note to end on as well. Andy, thank you so much for your time. I'll say goodbye to you again. Thank you for having me. Michael, pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure as always. Cheers, everyone, for listening. We'll uh, see you next week. Enjoy the football. The Athletic.